Hey there, it's Jeff MacArthur with the podcast for Thursday, November the 5th. And coming up, we'll talk about still waiting for U.S. election results. The Raptors exploring playing at Scotiabank next season with socially distanced fans. Plus, we check in with our wellness expert, Laura DeSanctis, about the necessity of self-care and how to cope with election anxiety. All of that ahead, right now on the pod. And as we continue to wait and wait and wait a little more for a result in the U.S. election, there are many questions that are mounting. And here to help us wade through some of them is Ryan Neville Shepard. He's an assistant professor at the University of Arkansas, and he joins us now here on Global News Radio. Ryan, good afternoon. Appreciate your time. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. All right. It is one thing for us here in Canada to be watching this from the outside, but let me start by asking you, what's it like actually being there right now in the U.S.? Can you describe for us the feeling inside the U.S. right now? Yeah, I think it's tense. I had a uh, actually a meeting this morning, and everybody looks really tired and haggard, um, and everybody's just pretty much glued to these results, and it seems like every few minutes we have at least an announcement of 10,000 ballots in this county, and uh, we are watching, uh, quite frankly, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. And so everybody is on pins and needles. Okay, well, let's get inside the numbers a little bit, and let's start with the turnout, because it's a record turnout for this uh, election. So uh, what does that uh, tell us or, or tell you? Well, I think, uh, first of all, it tells us that the election system seems to be working. I think that we saw a number of news stories before the election that there might be armed militias at voting booths, uh, that there are all these Trump caravans possibly preventing people from going to vote. I don't think any of that really happened. And so a strong turnout is a sign that people found their way uh, and, and there are a lot of ways to vote. And so our system seems to be working. Um, I also think that high turnout is the result of having two candidates who are the polar opposite. And so there was a very clear division and a clear choice uh, to a lot of voters. So it means that we had polarized options and a very clear choice uh, between one candidate and another. Um, And then finally, I would just say that it means that we're pretty polarized. I think what you're seeing in this election is the blue wave meeting uh, the Trump base. And so that's going to naturally create a pretty big turnout. All right. Also, Joe Biden, we were just talking about this moments ago. He currently has received more votes than any other presidential candidate in the history of U.S. elections, yet he still hasn't been able to sew this thing up. So what does that tell you about the uh, electoral system? Well, I think, first of all, it just tells us that there are more voters than ever before, right? So we keep seeing the statistic, and I think naturally would expect that to just be true in an election that has high turnout. But I think it also means that uh, a lot of people feel like they have a lot to lose if the other side wins. And so they're turning out uh, in record numbers because, as I said before, there's a big difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden and that speaks volumes to their supporters. And so it's driving them out in any kind of a, a, an election that you would expect to be a big election for those voters. Yeah, I'm interested in your take, though, on what it says about the current electoral system in the states, the one that's been in place forever, of course, the electoral college system, because we saw this in 2016, people continually pointing to the fact that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, yet Donald Trump took home the ultimate prize because he had the electoral college vote. And once again, we see uh, Joe Biden, the runaway popular vote winner here, yet he can't uh, kind of get his hands uh, around the ultimate uh, prize. Do Does the U.S., do you really need to kind of look at uh, your system and how it's set up, do you think? 
well, I think that there are big divisions in our country about how to look at that. I think that the Electoral College protects the interests of rural America. And so I think there's a lot of hesitation about letting urban centers decide who the presidents are going to be uh, in the future. And so uh, while there might be widespread frustration about that system in certain elections, sometimes it benefits uh, one party and then the next election it might benefit the other. Um, what we know traditionally, though, is that uh, when we have the popular vote uh, um, going to one candidate, but they still lose the election, uh, Republicans have more often than not actually benefited from that system. So you're not going to see at least Republicans trying to overturn the Electoral College. As I'm sure you're well aware, we have first passed the post uh, in this country, and there's been a lot of talk about electoral uh, reform. But uh, as you suggest, it's hard to get that done when whoever is in power and has to change the system is the current benefactor from the uh, system that's in place. And really, at the end of the day, uh, is there no perfect system when it comes to uh, electing a leader? Well, I think that's exactly what I was trying to get at when I said that if, if you go to uh, one one person, one vote, uh, a lot of those votes are going to be concentrated in major cities, uh, which means that states like Wyoming that might represent a big geographical area that have a low population um, really are just going to be ruled by California and uh, the East Coast. And so that doesn't seem fair to those voters either. Joined by Ryan Neville Shepard, an assistant professor at the University of Arkansas, talking about the state of the uh, race, the U.S. presidential uh, election. As uh, you well know, and we all do, Donald Trump, of course, is suing over mail-in ballots, uh, Ryan, and he wants the count stopped in certain states. Uh, What's your take on this legal action? Well, I think uh, he's trying to speak out of both sides of his mouth. He uh, wants uh, votes to stop in Pennsylvania, but he wants votes to continue in Arizona and Nevada. Um, So I think what we're going to see is the votes are going to be counted the way that the electoral system was designed to count them. Um, And he can uh, naturally uh, send in his lawyers and um, ask for recounts. All of that is legal. Uh, But if the votes say that he's lost in those states and he ends up losing the election, I don't think that he has uh, much to stand on. Is the rhetoric, do you think, uh, dangerous that we're hearing from the current uh, president, uh, kind of undermining the legitimacy of the system? Uh, I think it's bad. I think that it spreads misinformation that the electoral system doesn't work, uh, but there is no evidence as far as he cited that the electoral system doesn't work. Um, I think what you're probably going to see soon, and you're already seeing it in the United States, is members of his own party uh, distancing themselves from his accusations of uh, fraudulent ballots. And they've been doing this for four years. Um, I think when the votes uh, are, are, are formalized by the states, I don't think the Republican Party is going to stand behind his narrative of the election being stolen from him. Yeah, do you expect that to happen? I mean, there's one thing to sort of distance yourself from the rhetoric. There's another. It's another thing to call it out. And is that what the Republican Party is going to have to do, do you think, if this uh, goes on, it persists, and uh, Donald Trump uh, ends up losing this election but refuses to uh, give up yeah. power? I think it will happen. I think that the Republicans have been in an awkward position of being in his party, but he's necessarily like, I mean, he's he's president and it's his following that that allows Republicans to function uh, when he's president. But at this point in time, I think the writing's on the wall. 
And I think as these races are called by the Associated Press and people announcing a winner and Joe Biden gives a victory speech, I don't think the Republican Party, or at least the major members of the party, are going to back him up. And as a matter of fact, I think they'll say that the election is over. What if Donald Trump refuses to concede? I mean, is there a mechanism in place for removing him from the White House uh, if indeed Biden is declared the winner? Uh, It's a good question, but I I think that what I would say is that concessions aren't necessary by the Constitution. It's a a formal democratic ritual where when the writer is on the wall, the transition to the next presidency has to begin. Um, I think that Donald Trump will try to keep this narrative of uh, electoral fraud going as long as he can. But I think when it's clear that he no longer has evidence for that case, his party will urge him to start that transition. And even though right now it seems possible that he could refuse to concede, I think when he has no more alliances in the Republican Party and they're trying to pressure him to concede, he ultimately will. Just finally, Ryan, do you have an inkling, any sort of idea? I mean, the big question everybody's asking is, when will this end? When will it be over? Do you have any idea? As we're just uh, sitting here talking, us on the monitors in the studio, we're getting an update from uh, Nevada. Do you have any idea when a winner might be declared? Well, I think uh, the states that we're watching pretty closely right now are Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. Um, From all the evidence coming out today, Democrats are very excited about Pennsylvania and Depending on whether or not uh, you believe that Arizona has already gone for Biden, that would actually clinch it. So I think that by the end of the day, we're going to have a very strong inclination about who's won. However, there will be outstanding recounts. There will be outstanding court cases. Um, I think that those will naturally fall away. There does not seem to be evidence of electoral fraud to keep that narrative going. So I would say by the end of the day, you can feel good that there should be news. Um, I would say by tomorrow at the latest. All right. Well, it goes without saying, we and the rest of the world watching with great interest. Ryan Neville Shepard, assistant professor at the University of Arkansas. Ryan, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. Other than NFL on Sunday, seems like there's not a lot of sports on these days, right? I mean, fans are anxiously awaiting the return of the NBA and the NHL. But when will it return and what will it look like? Let's ask our friend and sportscaster, Parminder Singh. He's on the line and joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Parminder, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Nice to speak with you as always. Uh, first of all, uh, give us uh, the latest if you can. Uh, what have you heard? What do you know when it comes to the potential return of NBA basketball and NHL hockey? Listen, we're, uh, from what I'm hearing, I, I know they're working out some uh, potential opportunities here to get the season started, uh, you know, with the NBA and so forth. I've, I've heard even, uh, you know, potentially uh, December or even January. And, 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 you know, the biggest concern right now is, is obviously what, what's been looming for the most of 2020. It's, it's COVID. And, um, and, and I think it's, it's, it's very interesting to see that, especially in the NBA, uh, that the Raptors could potentially be playing in the U.S. Um, as opposed to uh, the survey that went around to season seat holders not too long ago asking if, uh, if you would be okay with uh, social distance games in the Scotiabank Arena. Yeah, let's talk a bit about that because apparently word is that some sort of memo went out to season ticket holders. Uh, what is your take? What is your feeling? Uh, what do you think about this? So when the NBA, NBA does come back, Parminder, 
there is a plan, perhaps, that the Raps could play with limited fans in the stands at Scotiabank? Uh, you know, it's certainly, I guess, hopeful from Raptors' perspective and from fans who actually want to go and see games. Realistically, and in terms of you know the the issues concerning crossing the border for U.S. teams, and you know as we all are well aware, uh, the Raptors are the only Canadian team, and everyone else is in the U.S. So I, and I think uh, you know our, our Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau has already mentioned that uh, you know he's not too keen on opening up borders and having teams cross back and forth. So. This whole kind of survey that went out, I, you know, maybe may just a fan engagement aspect, but uh, uh, realistically, I think it's it's quite possible that the Raptors would uh, would would take a home city in the U.S. somewhere. So a lot of faux excitement, perhaps, surrounding Raptors Nation right now, because oh. you're absolutely right when it comes to travel. They are the only Canadian team, and don't the Raps don't they have the same problem as the Blue Jays did? Absolutely, exactly, and I wouldn't see it any other way. And I think that uh, you know, perhaps for practice or whatever the case may be, that uh, they they remain uh, in, in Toronto. But uh, but you're right; they're going to have to pick a city if it's uh, if the COVID numbers continue to be what they are, and uh, we have no it seems like no solution or vaccine in sight. That uh, uh, most likely they would be playing out of a U.S. city. And now there's a couple of U.S. cities that are quite excited about this. Uh, you know, as 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 you can imagine, uh, and it seems like uh, Kansas is uh, putting themselves on top of the list. Yeah, Kansas City they they've been pushing and pushing hard to get our Raptors. I, I exactly, and I think uh, you know they're gonna bring pull in all the, that they can, uh, whether it's uh, Dorothy or the Red Slippers or whatever you may call it, whether it was themed, I guess, excitement. But uh, but no, certainly I think the mayor has pointed out that, you know, the mayor is interested in, in potentially bringing a team to Kansas at some point. So this to them is a great opportunity to get a run at uh, what it's like to have uh, an NBA team. And, and they're pushing, uh, pushing hard to get the Raptors there. Yeah, and they're bringing out the big guns, didn't Patrick Mahomes uh, speak about this, the Super Bowl MVP? <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I know we're in the midst of this U.S. election. We're all kind of excited. They they had every level of government and, and you're right, uh, you know, sports and, and other sports uh, figures involved uh, to make a big push. So let's see what uh, what comes of it. Yeah, how much are you missing uh, as a fan and as a broadcaster? I mean, am I right? It just feels right now we're in a bit of a low when it comes to sports, and we all need something to take our minds off the big issues uh, of the day. And uh, we got the NFL right now on Sundays and kind of scattered throughout the week. But, uh, boy, I think a lot of us are hungry for the return of hockey and basketball. And, and you know, especially if you we've, we've been we've been raised with hockey, and now you know basketball has become a big part of us. And and to me, it's I, I feel like I, it's not the fall yet. Like sports hasn't begun. Like it's uh, you know, with the exception of the NFL, like I, like this whole COVID thing has really kind of messed up my calendar <laughs> entirely. Like, it's, are are we still in summer? Is that why sports is not television yet? But but you're right. I think this as a fan. 
or, or even as a broadcaster, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're truly missing sports. And, uh, and, and as you mentioned, that it does help take your mind off of certain things. And for us, it's, uh, you know, puts our mind to things. And uh, so I think from a broadcast perspective, we, we want the sports on and then so do fans, I think, as soon as possible. Well, Parminder, my friend, between the fact that the sporting schedule, the sporting calendar has been turned upside down, the clocks went back, and it's like 20 degrees in Toronto for the next uh, few days, I understand the confusion. <laughs> so I'm okay to feel the way I'm feeling, right? Yeah. I, I don't need okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just wait till uh, is it next week when the Masters is on in November? What's that going to do to us all? <laughs> <laughs> Parminder, great to chat as always. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Be well. That's Parminder Singh with Hockey Night Punjabi and, of course, uh, NBA in Punjabi. And time now for our weekly wellness check with our wellness expert, Laura DeSanctis. Find her on Instagram at Go With Your Gut. And she joins us now here on Global News Radio. Laura, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. All right. We're going to talk about uh, the election. And uh, by the way, do you know when this is going to end this whole Trump Biden deal? I'm hoping tomorrow, but. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm like, is this really happening? <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us uh, feel that way, and all of us are hoping, geez, please, tonight, tomorrow uh, at the latest. And uh, we're going to talk about election anxiety for a moment and yeah. how to handle that, because uh, I think a lot of folks uh, are going through that. I think so, too. I was reading a few studies, and more than half of Americans say they're stressed out over the future of their country. There's actually a poll that said 68% of adults in the U.S. say that the 2020 election was a significant source of stress in their lives, um, according to the research from the American Psychological Association. So I'm sure even with Canadians, we're really feeling that pressure. We're really feeling that stress. And a lot of therapists and experts have come out and said that Americans are actually going through something called election stress disorder. And I, not, I never even heard of that before. Have you heard of that, Jeff? Uh, I have not, but uh, considering what you just laid out there in the groundwork, I think uh, the ground is fertile for that. I think there's a lot of people feeling a lot of anxiety. And the old saying, of right. course, is when uh, America sneezes, we catch a cold. And I think whether we've got family or friends south of the border or we're just uh, kind of uh, watching from afar, uh, this stuff uh, tends to affect uh, people on this side of the border as well. Percent. And... A lot of symptoms, they range from different types of anxiety, restless night sleep, uh, difficulty concentrating in many areas of our life. So this actually, this uh, term, election stress disorder, came from 2016, that election. But it's actually in this election, there's a lot more people being vocal about that they do have election stress and anxiety because of this campaign. And a lot of the time, it's because there's like this pervasive negativity of the campaigns um, amplified like 24-7 of this news cycle and social media. There's a level of stress and resentment. So we're seeing a lot of negative content coming out um, and even on social media and even different chatters with like virtual water cooler discussions about the election. So I really just wanted to take a minute or two to tell people and share some tips how you can reduce anxiety and how you can reduce some stress when it comes to the election. Um, really, I think one of the biggest things is limiting your media consumption and just going to your trusted news source. So read just enough to stay informed and then turn off your news feed or take a bit of a digital break. Yeah, really what you want to do, I think, is just tune into Global News Radio 640 Toronto from 1 till 3 specifically, if you could. <laughs> that is it. And then after that, take some time for yourself. 
go for a walk or spend time with friends, spend time in nature. The weather is gorgeous right now, especially in Toronto and the GTA. So why not take some time for yourself to do that? Um, I think the second tip really is to avoid discussions about the election if you think it's going to produce conflict. So I know talking to some family or friends, it can get a little, there can be some tension there or even coworkers. So trying to be mindful of that because that will also help reduce some stress and anxiety. Um, and then the third thing is recognizing that whatever, like this stress and anxiety that you're thinking about, this buildup, it's actually not productive. So channel your concerns and try to make it into something positive, thinking about something positive. Think about the things you can control um, in your life, because at the end of the day, this is this outcome is not something you can directly control. You know what? That yeah. is a great point, right? I mean, there's so many things that are out of our sphere or scope of a control that we get so wound up about and we start feeling uh, anxious and anxiety. And that's a good exercise, not only, I think, uh, you know, when you're looking at something like this, the U.S. election, but just everything in your day-to-day life. Sometimes there's things that uh, you have control over and there's many things that you don't. When you realize that uh, you don't have control over something, that can be really uh, empowering and can really induce some calm. For sure, 100%. And I think, too, like while we wait for the full results, what we need to do, and this has been the year for 2020, a big word in the wellness industry, and I think all around, and Jeff, you let me know how you feel about this, but really practicing self-care, um, doing that every day, whether it's like going for a walk, making sure you're mindful of what you eat or mindful of what you do, getting those eight hours uh, in for your sleep, even doing some relaxing, uh, deep breathing can effectively calm your brain. So all of those things, and 2020 has been a hard year, I, I think, for everybody. So really instilling those uh, self-care practices, and they don't have to be expensive. You don't have to download all these apps or uh, buy all these programs, but just being mindful and giving yourself some self-love. I think that's something that um, for 2020, reducing the stress and anxiety, these are all the things that that's a natural strategy that we can do to adopt to deal with the election stress, and then also for us to move forward for 2021 and channel our energy and our focus. Could not agree more. There's been so many times I've come home and I've just been so like tired and beaten down uh, from the day that I just don't feel like working out. And then the gym's closed, so you got to try to work out at home. But uh, when I kick myself in the you-know-what and get that workout in, I just feel so much better and so much uh, refreshed and re-energized. It really is. I mean, there's a release there. And it's something that I think we all need. And when you talk about uh, self-care and uh, self-love, the the one thing we wanted to also talk about this week here in our weekly uh, wellness uh, update, Laura, is the fact that, uh, you know, really kind of self-care has really sort of taken on a new connotation, particularly in 2020. No longer is it seen as, you know, something that's kind of nice, nice to do or a nice to have thing. It really has become a necessity, hasn't it? For sure. 100%. I think uh, self-care is becoming more of a radical act. And when we talk about self-care, gone are the days of like pampering pampering ourselves, going to the spa or spending half a day, you know, or a weekend with some friends. Self-care now is really about taking care of ourselves now. And sometimes it requires uncomfortable work. So that requires a meditation or sitting still. And I find with the global pandemic, the climate change, the racial unrest, the news cycle, everything that's happening around us right now, 
self-care is no longer a luxury. I would say it's definitely a necessity. So we spoke about the stress and the anxiety that's surged in 2020. And I think a lot of us, what we need to consider and need to do is check in with ourselves on the daily and ask ourselves, like, how are we feeling mentally, emotionally, physically, um, and doing the things that actually make us feel good on a day-to-day basis. I think, Jeff, that's something that is almost mandatory now for everyone to help decrease anxiety and depression and grief and loss. Yeah, and I think for so many folks, uh, sometimes self-care is like, I'm going to book off the afternoon and go get a mani-pedi or or something like that. And that's all well and good, but Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. I mean, self-care is actually about asking yourself some tough questions and maybe sometimes doing some heavy lifting, right, and uh, doing some kind of tough work. Yep, and I think uh, self-care today, and I was reading a few articles from a few uh, therapists, and they were saying, Self-care today is more like parenting yourself. I mean, if you know that you need to do some of the tough work of have difficult conversations or disassociate from certain things or set boundaries for yourself and limits on your behavior like a parent would, then do that. And some of those boundaries or um, limits would be, you know, shutting off your computer at the end of the workday and not uh, constantly checking your emails after work. So setting those strict boundaries and making it imperative, Uh, taking the time to eat your meal instead of eating your meal and working at at the same time, because I think self-care, it's, it's no longer about pampering yourself, but it's, it's about uh, putting yourself first and, and noting that it's not toxic positive. It's something that needs to be done every day so you can um, be healthy and happy and, and also heal. For sure. Before we go, uh, Instagram Live, you get another one going tonight? I do. I have another one at 8 p.m. with Andrea Donsky, who's also a nutritionist like me, and it's all about boosting your immunity naturally and holistically. So that will be on my Instagram at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. All right. Check it out at Go With Your Gut. Laura DeSanctis, a pleasure as always. Thanks, Jeff. Be well. Wellness expert to Laura DeSanctis. Did I just tell her a wellness expert to be well? I think I did, yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, I think that goes with the territory when you're a wellness expert. (laughs) And just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify, search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.